time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, away we go with the Thursday edition of the show. Dan McLaughlin with you. Scotty, um, I didn't like your choices on Halloween candy. Come on, man. I didn't like them. I got a couple of nice things. You had some solid choices on Kit Kat, Hershey Bar, Nestle Crunch. But when you went with Sour Patch Kids, Fun Dip, Mike and Ike, and Laffy Taffy, I was out. Here's the way that I'm looking at it. Go I ahead. have I have great depth here, okay? <laughs> so there's not a, there's not many MVPs on Good the point. team. Good point. But I was also the third pick. So that's just how the fantasy draft works. Sometimes yeah. that's where you get the advantage, and that's how I pick my team. You were spreading the wealth. You're trying to get the ball to everybody. Exactly. There's nothing on that list that you wouldn't eat, right? Let me see that There's list. There's nothing on the list that you would sour not patch. consume. No, I wouldn't do Sour Patch. Mike and Ike, I don't, I'm not sure I'd do that. Laffy Taffy, I'm, I'm not sure I'd do that either. Really? Yeah. See, there's stuff on Michelle and Randy's list. I say, you know what? I am out. Count me out. Me, you can say, eh, it's not that great, but I'll eat it. I got you. <laughs> I got you. 65780, that is the text line. 65780, the Rhino Shield mic drop as well on the 101 app. Very easy to use. If you'd like to send me a mic drop at 65780, we'll get to some of those uh, throughout the uh, program here today as we lead you into Ribs and BK. Coming up, I'll have a look back at the Cardinals' top moments of 2020 coming up later in the show. But first, we start with the unfinished business of the World Series. That's Justin Turner. MLB slammed Turner yesterday. So he violates the coronavirus protocols when he celebrated on the field with his Dodger teammates. He refused instructions from security to leave the field. Behavior that MLB said risked the safety of others. Jeff Passan of ESPN. Nothing really allowed him to be on the field. He just chose to be on the field and (laughs) nobody was going to drag him off after he won the World Series. He essentially said, I'm going out there and nothing's going to stop me. I want to pose with the trophy. I want to be with my teammates. Uh, I want to celebrate like somebody who's won the World Series for the first time and nothing was going to stop him and uh, the fallout from that we're going to see over the next couple of days. Hopefully there are no other positive coronavirus tests on the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, but uh, uh, you know that all remains to be seen, as does how they're going to get back to Los Angeles, when they're going to go back. There are a lot of questions. Still. Some of the Dodgers have already gone back to L.A. I don't think there's any doubt that discipline, fine, something is coming along for Turner's way. It was irresponsible. Major League Baseball investigating the Dodgers if they helped him get on the field. Turner, by the way, now a free agent. I just wonder if this hurts him a little bit. Now, he is 36, but that... In the eyes of many in baseball, with what everybody went through, and these front offices, these players, and just trying to get to the World Series and just try to make it through a season, if they say, do we really want that guy? Who's irresponsible? Not smart. Free agent to be, and so are many others. As teams begin declining options on players and making them free agents. And this is the start of what could be a very tough offseason, according to Buster Olney. But I will tell you that, <laughs> that there are storm clouds on the horizon. And what I keep on hearing from folks in front offices, you ain't seen nothing yet compared to uh, you know, when you think about the dysfunction of this year, the ugly negotiations. And while it feels good in this moment they got through this, it is going to be a long, cold winter. Because of the fact there's no resolution, there's no uh, knowledge at this point, as Hal Steinbrenner said last week on the Michael K. show, no one knows when they're going to be fans in the stands. 
And so the fact is, as agents have told me, the fact that in recent days, teams have been laying off a lot of the folks in their ticket offices tells you everything about what they expect could happen. And remember, if they're going to play again next year under the current circumstances, they again, the two sides, players in Major League Baseball would have to negotiate. And that's going to be after a, a free agent period in which the numbers on the financial landscape are expected to take a big downward turn. It is going to be a difficult winter. So here we go again. Are we talking about a full schedule 162 next year? May get reduced anyway to 154 or maybe even uh, less than that because you want to get in more postseason play and games. We'll see. In terms of stadiums, 25% capacity, maybe 50%. Time will tell. That is going to dictate budgets. We just don't know. Daniel Murphy of the Rockies became a free agent as his option was not picked up. The Nationals declined options on Adam Eaton yesterday, Anibal Sanchez, Howie Kendrick, Eric Thames, and the Cardinals and John Mozeliak are saying goodbye to second baseman Colton Wong. It's just immediate flexibility, whereas if we committed to it and then all of a sudden we realized we were in a, a, a more difficult spot, then what are we left to try to do? Again, not having a ton of time to explore the trade market or know what that looks like. And, you know, candidly, it's, you know, a very conservative and safer play at the moment. So with a $12.5 million option, the way I look at it, a 675 OPS wasn't going to cut it for a team that is in desperate, and I mean desperate, need of offense. Is it a risk? Yeah. Wong has been a superior defender. Six defensive runs saved this past year alone. Probably wins the gold glove. But they're looking for more pop in their lineup. Payroll flexibility. That flexibility may allow them to retain the services of one Yadier Molina. What's wrong with the the more difficult types of negotiations? Because, look, I've known Yadi since he was drafted. You know, he's been an iconic figure to this organization. And so, like, I can tell you how tough I am and what a great negotiator I am. But, like, I'm human. And there, there are parts of, of your decision-making that will inherently be drawn to that relationship. Ultimately, I think in this particular case, it's about trying to understand really about next year, trying to recognize his legacy and what it means to this organization, but also understanding that this is still a business and there, there are some tough decisions that have to be made, but they're not fun. I mean, it's 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 just something when you're when you're agonizing over these types of things, it's, it's difficult. And um, you know, I'd be lying to you if I said it was easy and I'd be lying to you if I said it doesn't you know keep you up at night. If you missed it this week, I had Adam Wainwright on the show. You can go back, listen to the podcast on 101 ESPN. And I asked Adam about his future and Yachty's future with the St. Louis Cardinals. We were sitting on the bus next to each other last year and we got our masks on and you know we're a whole row apart or whatever and i just look over and i said what's gonna happen next year <laughs> and because i just got done with a post-game interview and and everybody was asking me like hey are you gonna play next year this and that and I, and, I, and I just i tried not to think about it you know but it was on my brain and i just looked over and i just i looked i realized i said i just realized in my head this guy's a free agent i'm a free agent we've been here since you know the vietnam war basically and what's going to happen so i look over and i just goes yachty you're a free agent right he goes yeah i go i'm free agent too he goes yep i go what's going to happen he goes i have no idea he goes i i don't know bro i said i don't know either uh it's just uh it was just a realization that you know life moves on the game moves on baseball moves on the cardinals move on but um hopefully they don't move on yet so i i, I said hey 
what are we going to do, though? Like, what are you and I going to do? He goes, I don't know. Well, let's go somewhere together. I said, I agree. Let's go somewhere together. So we'll see, man. I don't know. Uh, neither one of us wants to leave St. Louis. We all want to. We both want to be there. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I know that times are weird. COVID's, you know, and the payroll flexibility is, is probably not what Mo wishes it was. But we'll see. I don't know. My my man Yachty, though, is a special part of my life, uh, more than just baseball. So I was, I've been blessed to be his teammate this long. Hopefully it keeps going. So Yachty, a free agent, so is Wayno on my website. Hope you check it out. A lot of different things on there. Scoops with DannyMac.com. There's a recent podcast with Jack Flaherty that uh, was put up uh, yesterday. And Chris Raby doing great work on the website, scoopswithdannymack.com. Very insightful. And he talks about what Wainwright brings to the Cardinals, Jack Flaherty does. And it's more than just what he means to the team on the mound. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's what the dream is. You know, you talk, you can you can walk in the locker room and be like, hey, you know, his birthday. And I, I brought out the the wheelchair to the airport and because he he's old but like you know in in the reality of things he's not old he's he's not he's 39 i think um but in baseball years you know you're considered you're considered really old at that point but you know i i brought it you brought out the wheelchair as a joke it was funny he threw a hundred and something pitches in a day game anybody's gonna be worn down after that but to do it for that long like that's the dream you want to be the old guy at some point you want to be the guy in the clubhouse that everybody looks to and makes old jokes and be like yeah you too old to do this anymore and then you go do it then you go throw nine innings and you can come to guys like myself and dakota and be like it's one nothing complete games this year by the way you guys gonna catch me or no and we just gotta look at him be like just tip your cap be like all right i can't say nothing until i get there and so that's the dream. That's the goal is to be in that situation, to be in the situation of Yachty and Wayno, where you've done it for so long and you can say you did it for, you know, 14, 15 years. That's the goal. That's what everybody wants to do. Great stuff with Chris Raby and Jack Flaherty. Now, Rivs and BK had Nick Swisher on their show earlier this week, and he gave some insight on what front offices are looking for in particular when it comes to catching. I'm bringing back Yachty. 100%. No doubt, bro. <laughs> he's coming back, no doubt. I'll be like, hey, man, I'll give you... He is the spine of my... He's the spine of my team. He is the leader of my team. Don't get me wrong. I know Wainwright is as well. But I think that, you know, when you're a pitcher and you're kind of getting later in your career, you know, obviously I think you need to keep... You got to hold on as tight as you can because these young bucks coming up are all throwing 100 miles an hour and their skills are off the chart. The one thing that I am realizing through this World Series and as well as for myself being a special advisor with the Yankees, the one thing that I think we missed the boat on this year is having a solid, strong defensive catcher. I think you have to have that. It's hard to say that there are dual threat catchers in the game anymore, offensive and defensive players. I think JT Real Muto is one of those guys, and obviously he's a free agent this year. But I think if you want to have a successful team and you want to run a dynasty type, you know, organization i think it starts with having a catcher on the plate that really knows exactly how to get it done because at the end of the day if you don't have that then i think you struggle because you have to have great pitching to win look what the tampa bay rays are doing this year it made me think of game six the other night you got blake snell rolling and all of a sudden kevin cash looks behind the plate to yadier molina let's just say i think yadier molina saying yep third time through we got to get him out of here no no, 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 no. 
you've got to have the eye test and you've got to have a guy that's behind the plate that understands what's going on on the field. Mike Schilt said, hey, he sees the game better than anybody. And that was what I was trying to say the other day when they were going through all the sabermetric numbers and the analytic numbers of Yadier Molina and why he wasn't a gold glove finalist. Those are the numbers. But here's the reality. A guy like that, you want behind the plate when the game is on the line or decision has to be made. That's how good he is still at the age of 38. And that's why there's going to be teams that may spend money this year. Yankees come to mind or a team that's on the cusp of winning a championship. And they say, Yachty's there. Let's go get him. That's going to be the competition the Cardinals are facing in this offseason. There were a lot of points made by John Mozeliak in his long press conference yesterday. One of those points was, what does the game look like in terms of rules next season? Because then you have to build your roster differently, specifically the designated hitter. Commissioner Rob Manfred addressed that this past week. You know, obviously all these changes need to be negotiated with the Players right. Association. Um, I, I think, you know, any rule where or rule change where people look at it and say, you know what, just from a safety and health perspective, this may be a better rule for our game. I think the DH kind of falls in that category. Um, keep pitchers off the base path. They're really valuable. Um, and, you know, look, I think um, a little more offense in every part of our game, probably not a bad thing, but that's another one that we'll get some discussion. From the 618, couldn't MLB and the PA just redo the CBA a year early? Seems like now is the best time to change everything since no, uh, so many new variables have been introduced into the mix this year. Sounds great on paper, and I would love the idea of that. I'd love to see the CBA extended. You've got uh, black clouds on the horizon when you think of 2022, but as it pertains to what's going on in this offseason, you got to find out about these changes, I would think, if you're a National League club, especially with the designated hitter, more so now than later. Got to figure out what you got. And I think the MLB, it is upon them to make the announcement fast because teams have to know because they have the game plan. I mean, there's a lot of things that we answer and say, well, it's uncertainty or we don't know. Well, they're going to have to have some answers or teams are going to be in trouble this year. I mean, it's going to be a massive competitive disadvantage. And for the player, you know, all of a sudden you open up the marketplace to half the league. So you're Nelson Cruz. You're limited in the American League. Now, all of a sudden, your National League teams are open up to get Nelson Cruz. There's going to be some teams that say, let's let's see what he wants. Let's at least explore the option. So it's beneficial on both sides is my point. So we'll see how that uh, all transpires. 65780. We'll get to some of those text messages coming up later in the show. Next segment, we'll talk about the top 20 moments, uh, top five moments in 2020. And I probably missed some. Maybe, Scotty, you have some. I'm sure our listeners do as well. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. And the last time I spoke to you was back on March 12th from Jupiter, Florida and Roger Dean Stadium when baseball and all of sports was shut down on that fateful day. And believe me, we have missed you so much. And we are so excited to bring you baseball tonight as we edge closer to opening day and a matchup against the Pittsburgh Pirates. It'll be a season unlike any other and a 60-game regular season sprint to the finish. And this will be 
a unique broadcast as well. That is how the 2020 season began. As we look back at some of the top moments of the 2020 season, I'll count down the top five in just a moment. This is Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. That is how we began a broadcast of inter-squad games. Remember, at that time, it was Summer Camp 2020, and fans were clamoring to watch games. So we were putting out some of the internet clips and some of the highlights from these inter-squad games, and fans said, hey, could you show some of the games? So on Cardinals.com, we did. That first broadcast got nearly 100,000 people to watch, which is unprecedented. It was some of the best numbers in baseball, if not the best. And so we knew there was an appetite for Cardinal baseball, and it was just around the corner. So it was unique. It was different. There were shutdowns along the way. And these are my five top moments of 2020. One of the things I really enjoyed throughout the season was Fred Bird in Big Mac land. And at the very tail end of the season, Fred Bird was up there. He was doing a Bob Ross um imitation he was painting he had left just for a moment to um well sometimes nature calls and harrison bader actually puts one up in big mac land bader launches one out to deep left into big mac land and he hit the painting he hit the painting for fred bird you've got to be kidding me fred bird where you at he hit the painting in Big Mac land. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> that may be the hardest ball he's ever hit in his life. There's the fastball. Boom. And he knew it right away. Good thing Fred Bird wasn't working. That hits the painting. Unbelievable. That was part of the oddity of 2020. Another part of 2020, Major League debuts. And if you're in my seat, you hope you don't screw up the call. You want to make sure that you do it right because you know the young man is going to see it. You know his mom and dad are going to see it. Their family, their friends, coaches, all along the way. And this is just going to be the first of many to come. The hype around this young man is big. And it's big going into next season as well. But it's the first of many for Dylan Carlson. Carlson hits it out to deep right field. It's at the wall. Gone! There it is. First ever home run in the big leagues, Dylan Carlson. And he does it here at Bush Stadium. All right, Dylan. A lot of pressure put on Dylan at that point in the season. Eventually, he was sent down. Then he came back up. And by the time that postseason came around, he was batting cleanup for the St. Louis Cardinals. It was such a tough year for the St. Louis Cardinals on many fronts, dealing with COVID-19, couple of shutdowns. Hopefully you had the chance to hear my visit with Mike Schilt as he talked about what the team went through this past season on 101 ESPN. And I thought this kind of summed it up to get to the, the final piece of the puzzle of the regular season and that final out to get into the playoffs. Round ball, hit up the middle. Wong is there, throw to first, and that'll do it. It's been a wild and crazy regular season, and the Cardinals find themselves in a familiar spot. The St. Louis Cardinals are headed to postseason play in 2020. They clinch postseason play for the second straight season, the 30th 
playoff appearance all time for the St. Louis Cardinals. Number two on my list. They do not get to the playoffs. He's my MVP of the season without Adam Wainwright. This weekend that we go back to was a weekend in interleague play in which the Cardinals are playing the Cleveland Indians. On a Friday night, they were absolutely blown out, and they were still trying to figure out their pitching in terms of just getting through innings. Arms were getting built up after the shutdown, and they needed innings. Then on Saturday, it was an extra inning game, so again, they had to go to their bullpen, and Adam Wainwright said to Mike Schilt, don't take me out until I get to 120 pitches. He said that a couple of days ago. And even then, don't even think about it, but I'm going the distance. I'm going to give you a complete game. The 0-2 pitch. Fly ball. Left field. Carlson over. He has it. Wainwright. His 39th birthday. He goes the distance. 23rd complete game of his career. Absolutely remarkable. And a hug from Yadier Molina. Goosebumps everywhere, everywhere. What a performance from the 39-year-old Adam Wainwright. Incredible. They had to put their masks on, but it didn't stop them from hugging, and you can't blame them. Stand up, Cardinal fans, wherever you are, and applaud Adam Wainwright celebrating his birthday today at Bush Stadium. Terrific performance. So the complete game by Wayno on his 39th birthday. And by the way, it was also game number Molina, which was just incredible in itself. And it really summed up the two in that particular moment. So that is moment number two for me. And number one for me is Yadier Molina. And this solidifies him for me headed to the Hall of Fame. 2-2 pitch. Molina serves it into right center. There it is. Hit number 2,000 for Yadier Molina. The 12th catcher in the history of Major League Baseball with 2,000 hits. One of the greatest ever to put on a Cardinals uniform. And there it is, hit number 2,000 for Yachty. Yachty is defined by his defense, but if there were any doubts as to whether or not he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, 2,000 hits as a catcher, that gets him in. Those are my top five moments as we look back at 2020. Always fun to do that. I'll probably do more of those as we go on uh, throughout the uh, the offseason, but hopefully you enjoyed that. Want to get some feedback on the text line as well. 65780, maybe some of your favorite moments, things that I forgot along the way as well. There were some others that I thought about, uh, but those are the five that came to mind and uh, look forward to your feedback as well. We'll continue in just a moment. You're listening to 101 Scoops with Danny Mac on ESPN. What you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Wanted to bring in Alex Ferrario. There's some hockey news to get to. By the way, the Columbus Blue Jackets have signed center Ryan McInnes, the son of Hall of Famer Al McInnes, to a one-year two-way NHL AA. AHL contract and he made his debut in 2019-20 so congratulations to Ryan McInnes and our good friend the Hall of Famer and the outstanding blue Al McInnes so I wanted to bring you in Alex because 
we're asked every day, when is the NHL going to start? And there is some news maybe concerning that as it dovetail into the minor leagues. So what, what do we have here? Yeah, Danny. So uh, Pierre Lebrun, a uh, fantastic reporter for TSN, reported yesterday that the AHL has set a tentative date to return, which would be February 5th. And of course, that's not in concrete. That's just what they're looking at right now. And that comes from right now. This entire week has been general managers meetings, which, of course, is conversation of when the NHL is going to return what the salary is going to look like, everything that's going to go into this upcoming season. But I find this interesting because if February 5th is when the AHL is scheduled to start, and again, that's just a report from Pierre Lebrun, I would imagine the NHL is going to be somewhere around that because let's be honest here, the AHL cannot survive unless people are in the seats. Like that is where the AHL makes their money. So if the AHL is looking at this, and again, this is just speculation from me, if the AHL is planning February 5th, they must feel that they'll get some sort of fans in attendance by that time. So I would imagine the NHL is going to be getting close to that number. And again, that's just a report right now that the AHL is shooting for that date. So let's just say then that the NHL would start around the new year yeah. for argument's sake. That would mean the training camps would have to open up by when? Well, I mean, let, let, this is the interesting part, Dan. And you and I were talking this out, out of the office a little bit ago. It, let's let's say that your your hope is January first, and that's where Gary Bettman has continued to say we hope that January first is when we're going to start. That's not what they're planning. That's just the hope. If you're going to get it in on January first, you got to think some teams that didn't play in the bubble they haven't skated, played, practiced since February when the NHL was shut down. So, I mean, you would have to imagine they're going to have to open up those camps for some players by December, early December, maybe even the end of November if you're shooting for January. Now, if you're going to push it to February, you got a little more leeway. Maybe December is when you want to open up the camp, the practice facility and get training camp going. The interesting part with this, Dan, was before I went on the air with you, uh, Frank Saravelli up in TSN in Canada Apparently, the Montreal Canadiens were planning on going to the practice facility to kind of train as, as, as players that were there. They've been told by Quebec government to go home. They're not allowed into the building. So this is the other factor into the NHL's return. You got the Canadian teams. Are they going to have to play in a bubble? Are NHL teams that aren't in Canada going to have to go to play in a bubble? The government is going to dictate a lot of these NHL teams and the ability to play with fans in the stands or even at all. And finally, the players, after what they went through to get through the season, they are steadfast. They, do, they don't want to play in a bubble. No. They're I, done with it, right? Yeah, I mean, and this is just from, from talking with Joe Vitale, who's with me tonight on This Week in Hockey from 6 to 7. He's talked to players. I've talked to some players. You get the, the conversations. Those players, look, they were happy they were able to complete the season and award a Stanley Cup. They were not happy with the bubbles because some felt that they were told what they were going to get and it didn't deliver in the bubbles, whether it be Edmonton or Toronto. And that was for a couple of months in a bubble. Now, an entire season in a bubble, not going to happen. But I also think that players aren't even going to be willing to go to a bubble for a couple of weeks for how long a season might be. So 
again, this is just speculation. There could be a lot that moves from now and the time that the NHL agrees to start. But if it's a bubble, I truly believe the NHL players are not going to agree to that. This week in hockey, Alex Ferrario, Joey Vitale, and that's coming up at 6 o'clock That's tonight. right. Yep, 6 to 7. Plenty to get into with the AHL and also some uh, names on the free agent market for the Blues. All right, buddy. Thanks, Thanks Danny Mac. Um, we were talking yesterday about college football and in particular what's happening with the Big Ten. So the Big Ten has no wiggle room to miss games. And we know already this weekend that Wisconsin, they are done. In terms of playing this weekend, they were supposed to play Nebraska. That's not going to happen. What does this mean for the college football playoff? This is really interesting. ESPN's Heather Dinich. As it stands right now, if every team in the conference plays an average of eight games, teams have to play six games in order to qualify for the conference championship game. Now, if teams play fewer than eight games and that number drops, the average number drops, so does the benchmark. So, for example, if the teams play in the Big Ten play seven games, then you've got to play five games. It's no fewer than two under the average of Big Ten games played. Now, that being said, the college football playoff does not have a benchmark for a minimum number of games to be played in order to qualify for a semifinal. Does that mean that they would put in a 2-0 team? Probably not. Would they put in a 5-0 team? Maybe they would. Interesting, and that would mean Ohio State. The Ohio State University, and that's the one that they're banking on to get in. I mean, that's that's a top-four team. The There's big, no doubt. The Big Ten definitely needs a representative to get in there. And Ohio State, you would seemingly be the most likeliest, but with Wisconsin dealing with a COVID issue in the 21 days, Ohio State might not even have really a problem to get there. It's going to be a relatively easy road for them. 314, Danny Mack, your favorite uh, Wong and Yachty moments. Ooh, that's a tough one. I, I guess the Wong walk-off in postseason a few years ago would be one of my favorites. Um, and there's so many with Yachty. I mean, the 06 hit against Aaron Heilman in the postseason, that would be one of them. Um, I would think hit number 2000 is one of my favorites. It's such a unique season, and the fact that he got to number 2,000 in a Cardinal uniform with time ticking to get down to number 2,000. And as I mentioned before, to get to 2,000, to me, is the final nail in the coffin. That puts him in the Hall of Fame. End of discussion. So if you're a writer out there and you're sitting there going, well, he didn't do this, and he's not doing that, and he's, well, he stop. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's in the Hall of Fame. That's where I stand. 573, did losing Hudson for 21 have any effect on what the Cardinals may do and trying to go out and get somebody? I'm telling you what, losing Dakota Hudson is massive, and not many people are talking about it. This guy took the ball every fifth day. He would give you quietly six to seven innings, it seemed like, or five innings, but it is a massive loss for this team. Now, with losses, opens up the door for others, and that's why I think they look at Wainwright coming back as being important. Can't have enough arms, um, but it does open up the door for somebody else. Is it Gomber? Is it Ponce de Leon? Is it Hennessy Cabrera? Is it Ryan Helsley? I mean, there are options, but this is a big, big loss for the Cardinals. A lot of the fallout from the World Series has been about Justin Turner and what's happening now. It seems like that's what we're focused on, and I get it. But also, it's been, uh, and maybe Kevin Cash is thankful for that, unfortunately, but his decision-making in game number six and Tim Kirkchin 
talked about what is kind of the fallout from that decision making and pulling out Blake Snell. Everything is now about the math and there's an arrogance to our young, really bright executives who think this is the only way to go. And I'm saying that when you get to a situation like game six, the feel has to come in. And I'm hoping that maybe since this was such a controversial move that this will be the start of going back towards the old school way of playing. I'm not saying we need to go all the way back there, but we have to get a little bit closer because we're way too far on the mathematical side now. I agree. It's gone way too far. The pendulum needs to swing back in the middle. I'm not saying there's not a place for sabermetrics and analytics. Obviously, there is. A lot of decision-making this offseason will be dictated by a front office somewhere, many of them, by what you put on paper and what you see. But when you have a game like that, that is decided by human beings. And That's got to be decided by Kevin Cash to keep him in. And in the regular season, if Blake Snell does that, does it come up the next day? Yeah, probably. Do we forget about it by his next start? Absolutely. That's why it's okay, theoretically, to do it during the regular season because it pans out more times than not. But when you're talking about elimination games, you're talking about postseason, you're talking about all eyes on you, you cannot make a decision like that just because that's what you were doing in the regular season. It's a whole new ball game. Kevin Cash pulled Snell with 73 pitches, Scotty. 29 fastballs, which was what I go to. So the pitch count was low. Okay, that's important. But 29 fastballs and zero were put in play. None. None. Uh, Let's see. 314. How about Turner at third base for the Cardinals for one year? Yeah, but I'm going to go back to what I said before. I think Justin Turner hurt himself in free agency. I'm telling you, there's going to be some front offices that go, wait a minute, that guy went out with what he did, and it was irresponsible. Do I want that around my club? I, I'm telling you. I think another thing is going to be waiting to see what his suspension is going to be. We don't know how long the 2021 season is going to be. We hope that it's 162 games, but say it's cut down and he has a 25, 50 game suspension. Yeah. You're only signing him to a one year deal. Now you're going to have a portion of that. Why would you want to take him? I could see baseball hammering him for what just took place with everything that baseball did to try to get through the season and then have that as a lasting memory of 2020. Not good. They have to hammer him. You, ha- you have to. Not good. Uh, let's see. Danny Mac, do you see Wayno staying here? Simply put, love your show. Do you see him staying here? I do. I know Yachty wants to win. I'm not sure this will be the, the best place to win. When you look at the Dodgers and maybe the Yankees as it compares to the Cardinals and their lineups and what may be spent, But the legacy part of it, um, I know it's important to him. I know it's important to the front office. I I, I think he stays here. I think they make it a way for him to be back. Uh, 636. Mike Alyssa will be back, so that's something. Agreed. Um, You get Miles back, that's going to help. I just hope he's 100% healthy. And until we see it, you know, you always kind of treat it with kid gloves. All right, covered a lot. We're going to turn it over to Ribs and BK. Cross it over next on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Crossover, Ribs, BK, Alex, they're coming up next and sure they're going to get into the NHL as we were talking about a few moments ago Alex rejoins us and uh, you got Jim Duquette coming up on the show so more baseball talk yeah which is good because I think right now after yesterday uh, 
after John Mosellock spoke, a lot of Cardinals fans have a lot of questions. So uh, we're going to do our best to kind of dive into those and talk about it, which I, I thought John Mosellock did a great job yesterday with that press conference, Dan. I really did. What stood out for you? Well, obviously the Wong thing stood out, but, um, you know, the other one that, that stood out to me was how he talked about Jeff Albert and the coaching staff. And I do feel like we, as fans, go to the coaching staff so quickly of blaming somebody. And from what I took away with Mo yesterday, Dan, it sounds like it's not so much Jeff Albert's effect on the big leagues as it's his effect on the entire organization from major league level down to a ball down to the training camp staff and growing these younger players into the mentality that they want from Jeff Albert. So the speaking of that, they were talking about some of the, the takeaways with that potential hitting camp. They're looking at that because mm-hmm. there were no minor leagues. Uh, really no idea about an instructional camp, which is something that they normally have. All major league teams have that. Probably will have that in January. He said one of the mantras they have, they're going to have to do less with more. Um, what he said about Lane Thomas caught my attention, yeah. too. Um, one of the players that got hit with COVID-19, he said he was having breathing issues and dizziness. And that would explain some of the things I think we were seeing at the end of the year. Because Lane Thomas was lost on the field at the end of the year. I mean, it was eye-popping that there was a play in right field. It might have been in Cincinnati. He was put in as a defensive replacement, didn't make the play. Yeah, And you could tell, I mean, something wasn't right. And then when he was at the plate, he just didn't look right. So that may explain some of that. He mentioned instant flexibility with his payroll, with Wong, the uh, option not being picked up. So they save immediately $11.5 million. And now... If you're a Cardinal fan, certainly your attention is directly with Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright, and then somehow, someway, improving an offense that has got to slug. Because if you look at postseason play, these teams are bashing the baseball everywhere. Cardinals didn't do that. They were in the bottom three of slugging percentage under Jeff Albert and why he takes some hits. And, you know, you can understand why. In 2018, the Cardinals are fifth in runs per game. 2019, that was his first year, they were 10th, 20, they were 12th. So that's got to improve. Yeah, it has to improve. And that's the main thing that John Mozeliak talked about. Of course, you need to upgrade your offense. The problem is, of course, the financial flexibility that he talked about in going into this offseason. And he didn't have a lot of answers, which right now I don't expect anybody to have when it comes to the offseason free agency, what these players are looking at. But my takeaway, in my opinion, when I was hearing Mo talk, Dan, was there's going to be some bargain hunting. There's going to be some diving into some bins of players that maybe other teams look at and say, not, we don't need that. But maybe it's a challenge for the coaching staff and the management to find a player that can affect this team differently than ones that they've had already. Alex, Ribs, BK, Scotty, great job. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN.